We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. The baseball season is go, go, go. It's nonstop, relentless for every night, six straight months, and then hopefully another month in October. You also have work, friends, family, and a million other things going on. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. I mean, the mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when your beer is cold. Is there anything better than opening up your refrigerator after a long day, seeing that icy cold Coors Light can or bottle in your fridge? The answer is no, there's nothing better. That's why when it's time to chill, you choose Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So that's why when you want to hit reset, reach for a beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate. We are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your hosts, Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. This episode does not have a number because it's all about Derek Jeter. We're recording it on an unspecified date in preparation for his Hall of Fame announcement, running down his greatest moments as a baseball player. And we know he's going to get voted in. We don't know 100%, 99%, 98%. Maybe there'll be stupid people and he only gets like 90%. And everyone will be big mad online. But we're just going to focus on his great moments. Scott, what's up? What's up, man? Yeah, the uh, we've talked about the Hall of Fame balloting in the past. Not going to go down that road, but um, you know, after Rivera got one hundred, wouldn't be uh, wouldn't be that crazy to see Derek Jeter get one hundred percent. But I doubt it happens. Yeah, just by the way, guys are talking. So a little prediction before it happens. I don't think he's going to get a hundred. I don't think he, is... I don't think he is either. Because there's people out there that that talk about the defense and will just sit on something stupid and and say that. Um, well, you know what? He's great, but I'm going to wait because I know X player only has last chance to get in. So I'm going to put my vote there and Jeter will get in next year. 
Right. Or no, Jeter will get in, but over the uh, the percentage. Exactly. So this is how this is going to work. We're going to r- run down his five greatest moments in our opinion. So if you disagree with them, let us know on social media. We're going to mention some honorable mentions and also a runner-up moment. So we're kind of cheating. We're talking about like nine moments here. But let's quickly get the honorable mentions out of the way. The first one that comes to mind for me is the Jeffrey Mayer game. This is sort of like the first big Derek Jeter moment of his career. Yeah, I mean, so you have the, uh, that was the ALDS, and you're looking. No, ALCS. ALCS, my bad. Yeah, it was ALCS Baltimore, and you're, you're seeing him coming up uh, as a rookie, 96, and hits a huge home run. Problem is, it wasn't a home run. Today, it wouldn't be a home run. But then, it was a, it was, it was, if you, if you asked for moments before we had instant replay, and if we all didn't know what actually happened and, and saw the camera angles of, of that entire thing, that's, that's an iconic home run. It's, it's, it's huge. Um, I think when you, when you now know what you know, and you do realize that the kid was actually leaning over the wall, a uh, pretty significant amount that, um, you know, it knocks it down a little bit, but for a kid that to come in, the kid being Derek Jeter in his uh, his rookie year and hit that home run, it's huge. It just shows what he is. I'm going to say that probably a thousand times during this thing. It shows what he is. It's kind of funny you mentioned instant replay. There's another moment in here that may be changed if it weren't. I disagree. I know what you're talking no, no, about. No, I'm saying maybe. I'm yeah. not saying definitely. I mean, the Jeffrey Mayer one's definitely overturned. It's yeah. an out. They're going to call it an out. Even though I don't know why Tony Tarasco doesn't jump. I still think he has to jump to catch that ball. Uh, I don't think I've he had to like, jump. I don't even I've think he had to jump, man. That thing is falling like next to the wall. I've seen different like uh, camera angles and, and people like inserting arrows and like trajectory and all this stuff to say like, oh, it would have hit his glove. It would have hit just above his glove. Like who knows what would have happened. Um, I mean, can we yeah. just get your nerds in here to talk about what the ball was like then and the weather and, and just tell us exactly what happened? Yeah, well, if, if MLB just juiced the ball back then, that would have been seven rows da- uh, deep, and we don't have to yeah. worry about it. Jeffrey Mayer uh, leaning over the fence, right? Blame baseball. He also got Yankee Stadium changed. They instituted that bar. Mm-hmm. That's right. They that had that little gap. Mm-hmm. That's. Uh, I mean, it was. It was definitely that. That play changed how fans have to act in the first row of any area of the field. I can't put it as a top five though because it was aided by a twelve-year-old kid. Yeah, I just, I just can't. I just can't do it. I feel right. I think it's. Dirty. I think it's important to preface this whole thing with with saying that a lot of these moments are so close and they're within the top five. Uh, you know, some people might have a different list, but it's damn close. The thing for me, what was what was difficult when I'm looking at some of these, because some of the moments are you know within a game, some of them are within a, a regular season game, some of them are within um, a postseason game, and then some of them are just more iconic moments for accolades and things like that so it's hard to rank them all together because they're so different next one up that comes to mind for me is when jeter passed lou garrick as the most hits as a yankee i can still picture the hit it was a line drive single down the first baseline classic jeterian swing as the great john sterling coined the phrase and this was at the new yankee stadium it was one of the first big moments at the new yankee stadium it was a regular season game He passes Lou Gehrig for most hits as a Yankee. We all know he's going to eventually get to 3,000 hits, but this was just sort of like the stepping stone that needed to happen before he got there. Yeah, I mean, you know, barring any injury, he's going to get to that point, and it's a huge deal because obviously, probably with more than any other team, the the Yankee stats, the history of the New York Yankees within the organization 
is is so storied and so um, you know revered that when you pass a guy like Lou Gehrig in in that hit category, that's a huge deal. And I don't care what analytic uh, stat you look at at this point. Every single one of them, whether it's old uh, old numbers or new numbers, they do value the hit. Everybody values the hit. The hit is nice. The hit is a good thing. Nobody could dispute that. Well, this was also at a time when we valued batting average a lot more than a lot of people. I'm just know. talking about the hit itself, the actual <laughs> hit. Nobody can dispute a that. Good thing. Yes. Can can cannot deny. The last honorable mention that I think everyone should think about is Jeter's speech to close out the old Yankee Stadium in 2008. 2008 was a weird year. Uh, Yankees didn't make the playoffs for the first time in a really long time since the early 90s. We all knew it was the last year of the stadium. That was really the only thing people were still going to the games in September for is just to go to the stadium one last time. And then they are playing this this game. It's a sold-out crowd. It's in late September. The Yankees end up winning the game, but it, like that was even in doubt. There was a moment where we thought, wasn't it like we thought the last home run was going to be by Johnny Damon? at Yankee Stadium, and this was before Johnny Damon won a World Series with the Yankees, so it's before people really liked Johnny Damon as a Yankee, so it's like, oh, shit, a Red Sox, a Yankee killer is going to hit the last home run at Yankee Stadium, and then Jose Molina ends up hitting the last, he hits a home run like late in that game, I still remember, and then after the game, Jeter makes his speech, and he he said he just winged it when he went into the speech. I believe that, I, I, I believe that he definitely wings things. Do you think he's going to wing his Hall of Fame speech? No. No, definitely not. If that's a much but, longer speech, that's not like a you got to recap some stuff in that one. You got to thank people, you got to talk about specific things. There's boxes to check. In yeah, the, in if this you one, leave somebody off, you're yeah, going to hear about it. This one, you're you're basically he maybe had maybe had talking points, bullet points, but I don't even think that. I think that he basically just goes out there from the heart, talks to the fans as as he would a person. And and just kind of went from there, and I think that's that's what came across. It felt like it was off the cuff. It felt like it was from the heart. I think it, it, it was better in that in that way. Well, let's listen to some of it. Excuse me, excuse me. For all of us up here, it's a huge honor to put this uniform on every day and come out here and play. And every member of this organization, past and present, has been calling this place home for 85 years. There's a lot of tradition, a lot of history, and a lot of memories. Now the great thing about memories is you're able to pass it along from generation to generation. And although things are gonna change next year, we're going to move across the street. There are a few things with the New York Yankees that never change. That's pride, it's tradition, and most of all, we have the greatest fans in the world. And we are, we're relying on you to take the memories from this stadium, add them to the new memories that come at the new Yankee Stadium, and continue to pass them on from generation to generation. 
So on behalf of the entire organization, we just want to take this moment to salute you, the greatest fans in the world. All right, let's get to the good stuff. The runner-up moment. We're still not to the top five, but the runner-up moment, and we, we switched this at the last minute. This was number five originally, and we bumped it to the runner-up moment. It's the walk-off. His final big moment in baseball, walk, final Yankee Stadium game, he walks off. It is. Um, it was another thing, sort of like 2008. The game didn't matter. The Yankees were out of the playoffs. It was a it was a lost season other than the fact that Derek Jeter was getting weird presents every time he went to a new stadium. It was the Jeter tour. That's why people were hanging out. Yep. This this but you watch these this highlight and you listen to this call. Oh yeah, it sounds like an October game. You think it's game seven of the World Series. <laughs> yep. And that brings up Jeter. Number two, Derek Jeter. Number two. Well, the script is there. The last page is in Derek's hands. Meek deals. Base hits to right field. Here comes Richardson. Here's the throw from Marcakis. Richardson is safe. Derek Jeter ends his final game with a walk-off single. Derek Jeter, where fantasy becomes reality. Did you have any doubt? I mean, well, that's how big he is. You know, so when you're going in there, and these are the moments I'm talking about here. Like, this this is a moment in a, in a meaningless game, in a meaningless season, and it's, it's, a, it's, it's damn close to a top five. We bumped it out. Uh, because I think of the situation and, you know, looking at the other ones, but it's so beautifully Jeter in everything that you could possibly, first of all, the call by Michael K was, was terrific. Great call. The, I disagree. I liked it. The, um, the call, the, the actual hit was just absolutely Jeter single to right field going the other way, hitting the hole. I mean, it was, uh, it was, it was beautifully, beautifully scripted for, for Derek Jeter to, to finish out Yankee Stadium. Let me set the scene. So the Yankees are winning this game handedly, like the entire time. David Robertson blows the game. He's the closer at the time. He blows the game in the top of the ninth inning. And Girardi had said after that game that his original plan was to take Jeter out in the top of the ninth inning to get a standing ovation. Yeah. Girardi was big on this. He did it with Mariano, mm-hmm. he, he, and he was going to do it again with Jeter. But he couldn't because Robertson blows the game. Imagine what would have happened if he had taken Jeter out and then Robertson blows the game and the game goes like 15 innings and we never have that moment of Jeter or we never have any more Jeter at Yankee Stadium. So thank, thankfully he left him. Don't in. you think it just would have happened in a different – it would have happened later. I guess if, if he had pulled him out of the game. If then, he had pulled yeah, him out done. of the game, then it, it was done. So, yeah, it's just sort of the stars align there. But then in the in the top of the in the bottom of the ninth inning, he gets up and he first pitch single to right field off Evan Meek. It was a cookie fastball. I'm not saying Evan Meek gave it to him, but I'm also not not saying that. Whatever the and game you know what? matter for either team. Guess so what? Good. He should. It's fine. That <laughs> is called hit it. that is called respect. He's getting a fastball. This is what you do. It happens all the time. Happens all the time in baseball. It happened in that All Star game that year. 
Wainwright, I believe, was the starter for the NL, cookied him a fastball on the first pitch, and Jeter hit a double down the right field line. When you're in a moment that doesn't matter, and you you have an icon in, in, a, in a moment that's huge, last game at Yankee Stadium for him, you give him a first pitch fastball. It's just it's it's just one of those things. He knew it was coming. Uh, pitcher knew he had to do it. Catcher knew he had to put the, the the sign down. Boom! First pitch fastball. It's if you don't hit it, then I'm gonna then I'm gonna attack you. But here it is first. I may be misremembering this, and uh, maybe I shouldn't even say it, but I believe it was David Cohn talked about grooving fastballs to Cal Ripken in one of his final yeah. plate appearances. And Ripken just like couldn't hit it, <laughs> and he was like, "Oh, do I take more off? Do I put it somewhere else?" He like, he like gave him like three groove fastballs, and like Ripken flew out to center field. So I mean, that's all you could do is you could set the moment up for yeah. for the guy and and hope that he could still hit a fastball. Yeah, and you you mentioned Michael K's call, Derek Jeter, where fantasy becomes reality. I liked it. It's so corny, and it was so obviously pre-written. But don't you understand that that's what he is? He's complete corn. He's always been cheese. I know. Michael K. has had great calls. One of my favorite Michael K. calls is Get Your Tokens Ready, when David Justice hit the home run to put the Yankees in the Subway Series. And you don't think that was pre-scripted? Of course it was. But it's, it's good. Get Your Tokens Ready, that's like, that's catchy. This is like a Disney movie. <laughs> I know that's a, that's Derek Jeter's career. It's a Disney movie. So when you when, when fantasy becomes reality, and in the in the way that it was said, in the way that it, you know everybody just uh, attacked him because it was a game uh, a game winner, it was it was beautiful. It was like happily happily ever after. It was it was a beautiful moment. So I like the call in that moment. Antoine Richardson was the pinch runner who yeah. ended up scoring the winning run. One of those like they always say, one of those weird trivia questions that will be asked if you can remember the name Antoine Richardson. His name forever. is spelled weird too, I think. Yeah. And the team reacted like the Yankees just won the World Series. They all ran out. It was it was like like you said, an October playoff reaction moment, not a just a guy's final home game. Moment. Well, it's because you want the send-off to be perfect. You want the send-off with a guy who has such a storied career, who has given so much to the city, all the fans absolutely love the guy. The the teammates all love him. He's got all his guys there. You just want it to be perfect for him, and and I, I get chills. I'm gonna. I don't know how many times I'm gonna get chills during this podcast, but probably a whole bunch. I watched all these videos before we recorded. So and did I, I. Got chills on every single one of them. So when you're when you're when you're thinking about a career like that and, and a guy that's impacted so many lives because of the fandom, because of just like what he's done, and uh, and brought so much success to New York, and we all grew up with this. We all grew up with these amazing championships um, and these amazing moments. You want it to end well. You don't ever want. Your your heroes, your your icons, your your favorite players to end on a on a sour note. Always want it to be perfect, and it's and it Der- rarely happens. Derek Jeter ended up playing two more games. I was at one of them. They were in Boston at Fenway Park, and Jeter said the only reason he played in those games was it be- was respect because it, it was the Red Sox. Yeah. If they were in Tampa or if they were in Kansas City, he would not have been playing. But he felt like because it was the Red Sox, he owed it. And he got standing ovations. He had two dribbler singles, like literally, literally carbon copies of, of themselves yeah. down the third base line. Um, but, you know, I'm happy he played because I'm, I'm glad that I went and saw, saw him play one last time. But, like, this is really his last – this is his last game. This, this, is, is, his, his last this game. is his last game that 
I mean, it doesn't matter. It was the last one at the stadium, so that's good enough. It doesn't really yeah. matter. Nobody's going to remember the other ones. But it does say something when you when you talk about the fact that he did go to Boston and played those two meaningless games after what happened at Yankee Stadium. How much respect he has for the game, and I think how much respect he has for the rivalry of the uh, of the with the Red Sox and the fans that were that are up there too. So um, there's a, there's a lot of a lot of good stuff there, man. He's a, what a good dude. What a good dude. Number five, I'm calling this the king of New York. So Derek Jeter moves into the leadoff spot as both clubs have struggled to get their leadoff men on base in this series. Jeter has been in the leadoff spot before this year when Knobloch was injured in particular. And he goes after the first pitch way back left field. Derek Jeter, he's on and out. Goodbye, home run. First pitch homer for Derek Jeter. Well, right now there's somebody over the Yankee dugout saying we let our dog out. Derek Jeter in the leadoff spot. Hit 15 home runs this year. And when he hits in that leadoff spot, which he did 21 times this year, he can do that and give you a quick lead with one swing. This was the one that we originally had as the runner-up, and then we bumped it up because I don't know if this is a singular moment as much as it is what we're talking about here is Derek Jeter winning the 2000 World Series MVP, crushing the hopes and dreams of every Met fan alive. If there was any, any doubt ever, who owned New York? What team owned New York? It's Derek Jeter. It's the New York Yankees. It's not the New York freaking Mets. Well, I mean, it was never really a question. Uh, yeah, they were in the World Series that year, but, but Derek they were, Jeter they were has really trying. As saying... If there's one you cannot lose, it's that one. Doesn't matter about the previous three. If they lost this one, people would have been like, you can't even beat the Mets across town. So they had to, obviously, they had to win this one. But because it's the Subway Series, it takes on a little bit more importance. Yeah, and I think that um, when, you, when you add in, I mean, to, if, if you want to look for the moment, you know, it, it, yes, it was a, it was a, it was a culmination of, of him being amazing in that World Series. And you know, sidebar, he had some had a big hit against a uh, uh, one Al Leiter in the All Star game, which he was MV, uh, you know, uh, was named MVP of as well. He had a hell of a year. First uh, player to ever do that, win All Star game and World Series MVP in the same season. But the the moment, I, you know, I think when you're looking at turning points and you're looking at you know where the momentum was and how the series was going, when Jeter steps up uh, and leads off the game in Game Four. Um, and hits that home run. It was it was a a very telling moment. And the one thing I love about this, I, my absolute favorite part about this entire thing, is you got to watch it. So once you uh, go watch these videos too, guys. Once you're once you hear this, but when you look at that stone cold face after he hits the home run, rounding rounding the bases, just knowing that like there's no smile, there's no there's no like cheering, there's nothing there's nothing like you know, talking to the fan. There's nothing. There's, he's just business all the it's way nothing around. Personal. It's just business. He's like, I'm here, and this had to happen. I had to do this. I'm doing this, and now we're gonna kick your ass. And the the look on his face, man, is just like, like that's my guy. That guy. That guy. I will. I would do anything for. You know, like that's the guy when you're when you want on, when you're on a team and you have a guy that's leading off because he wasn't the leadoff hitter. They bumped him up. Bumped um, him up. 
That's a he's just it, like you heard Gary Thor- Thorne on the call saying both teams have struggled to get their leadoff guy on. Moving Derek Jeter up to the leadoff spot. Let's see how it goes. First pitch, boom, boom. home run. Gary Thorne, man. Um, he's had some sneaky good Yankees calls. Yeah. Oh, uh, no. I know uh, you don't like him because you have to listen to him. No, I don't like him because of the way he says Gary Sanchez. The, uh, that's, he really is, some of his depictions just kiss, kick, just absolutely kill me. But no, I love that. I think it says a lot. Like when you see the look on that guy's face when he's rounding the bases, uh, knowing that this is a huge game, got to get that momentum back. I don't care about one single moment because he doesn't. He's just ready to win the game and doing whatever he possibly can to do that. So bump me up. I'm going to get this thing started. Let's go. You mentioned momentum. You know, the Yankees won the series in five games. You're like, well, they, they killed him. Like, what kind of momentum could the Mets have had? But they actually did because in game two, if you remember, the Yankees were up big and then Mariano Rivera gave up a bunch of runs in the ninth inning. They were putting him in there literally for work. And he gave up a bunch of runs and the Yankees won by a run in game two. And then it goes to, uh, I was going to say City Field. It goes Shea. to Shea. It goes to Shea. And the Mets win the game. A game El Duque started. El Duque had never lost in the playoffs to that point. So it's now a two-to-one series, and the Mets do have momentum. If they can win game four, who knows what the hell happens in that series. And Derek Jeter just basically said, there's no freaking way you're winning this game or this series. I'm going to take it by the balls right now. That's the look. That's exactly the look when he's rounding the, the bags. Like, it's New York. This is the New York Yankees. That's it. Doesn't matter. And Jeter in the series hit 409 with two homers, six runs scored, and he got on base 12 out of 25 times. He was an absolute Mets murderer, as he was his entire career. Killed Al Leiter his entire career. He was on top of the world in 2000. His best statistical season is probably 1999. But if you just want to look at an isolated stretch of Derek Jeter's career, when did he peak? It's the 1999 to 2000 two-year gap, two-year period. Yes. Yeah, no, he was he was phenomenal. And and that's not even the um the year. I mean, he had there were other guys in the league that were putting up gaudy numbers, but when you talk about the MVP year, that's something we we don't talk about because he should have won MVP. Justin Morneau comes and steals it from him. Well, that was later in his career. In 2006, was, I think. Yes. But yes. But, and he finished top he he was always in like the top 10 of MVP votes. Yep. But you but you look at the, those it, the, the numbers were stupid. The numbers were so stupid, stupid that some of these guys were putting up. Easy to understand why Jeter never won it because his stat line was always fantastic. It was always like 333 batting average, 16 home runs, a bunch of doubles, a great OPS. But then you'd look at like Juan Gonzalez and he'd have 58 home runs and 158 RBIs. You'd be like, okay, I guess he's going to be the MVP. Right. No, that's it. And that's that's the thing with the year of uh, when Morneau won it. Like there was nobody. There was nobody that had standout numbers that year that were, you know, big gaudy power numbers. And you're looking at that, like this is the year that Jeter absolutely needs to win it. If not just talking about that one year, because he had a phenomenal year, but knowing what he's done as well, because you don't think baseball writers think about that. They do. The fact that he's a Yankee probably hurt, but they, they do think about that. They, I don't care what they say. They think about what's happened in the past. Um, so that one still pisses me off. I agree. Sidebar. I bet it still pisses Derek Jeter off. I bet it does too. He want because he doesn't have it. He never got it. So, yeah. Let's move on to number four. More no. The dive. One two. He loops out the left field. Going to be a tough play. Jeter on the run makes the play wow. and flies into the stands. Oh, what a 
play by Derek Jeter. You could see the redness in his face. He oh, caught yeah. the bar of that uh, box. What a play. Oh, my goodness. He caught the, he had to know that was going to happen. I mean, it's just full tilt. There's no way you could stop. He had to hit one of the chairs. Yeah, on his way had down. To be one he... of the chairs' uh, handles or something like that. No way he could stop it. Wow. That's just all out. Pure hustle, pure guts. I got to make the play. Nothing else matters. Oh, my goodness. I'm going to read a blurb of a blog that I wrote a bunch of years ago about the, the dive. Uh, so just entertain me. Hopefully I can read out loud and not stumble over the words that I wrote. July 1st, 2004 versus Boston, the game went to extra innings tied at three, and in the top of the 12th, the Red Sox threatened to take the lead when Trot Nixon sent a bloop over third that looked to be a two-run single. Out of nowhere, Jeter sprinted and caught a pop-up, heading full speed for the camera well down the third baseline. Because he was sprinting, his momentum sent him diving over the camera well into the first row of the seats. Jeter would later say that he made his decision to dive into the first row of the seats because one, he expected the fans to catch him, and two, he recalled injuring himself when he tumbled over the wall into the cement ground of the camera well in Game 5 of the 2001 ALDS versus Oakland. Jeter walked off the field with a bloody face, but he preserved the lead and allowed the Yankees to win on a John Flaherty double in the 13th inning. So, <clears throat> I saw in the notes that you put in here some of the pessimists uh, talking about did he actually need to dive into the stands on this play? Yeah, that's a common thing people say. Yeah, I understand. He absolutely did, and it wasn't so much that he dove to to dive because I think when people think about this, if they don't remember the player, if they hadn't seen it, I mean, every Yankee fan that listens to the show, I guarantee, has seen it five thousand times. But if you remember that wall. It was the camera well. It's a much lower wall in that spot than it is in other areas. It's, it's a like, it's like knee high. Shin. I was gonna say it's under the it's right around the shin. It's a tripping hazard, is what it is. So if you're going in there, you can't stop. There's nothing to grab. There's no there's no wall to hold on to if if you're if you're trying to stop yourself. There's nothing to stop. There's you. no net. There's nets now. There's no nets then. There's literally nothing there. The only thing that's there is a shin high tripping hazard. It's basically, it's not a wall. It's just, it's a thing that's in the, in your way. So what he, I'm glad he did that because, you know, who, we've seen bad, bad injuries with legs before, yeah. uh, around, around the sides, you know, of the, uh, by the stands. And, um, I think it was just momentum that carried him in there. I don't think he necessarily dove. I think he just kind of took his momentum and, and went with, you know, where it took him because I don't even think he could have gone on that camera. Well, because on the cement on that particular play because of the speed he was running. Cause he was full speed going yes. in, going into that ball. Um, and yes, he caught it with, you know, outside the track. I think, I think it was just outside the track. And then he it was, a, it would have been a fair ball. So it was fair territory. No. Yes. The That's ball a fair ball. What really he caught it in fair territory. Okay. I, you just watched this. I video. did. And now that's why it was it so again. important because if that, if that was going to be a foul ball, then that, then, Trot Nixon doesn't drive in two runs, but he was going to drive in two runs on that. Yeah, he caught it in fair territory. Fair territory, but 
the old Yankee Stadium, there, there, there's nothing took, right there. There's nothing he took right there. Two and a half steps before he was in the stands yes. after he caught it. So he catches it in fair territory and takes two and a half running steps and he's in the stands. There's no room there. So, yes, he had to dive. And he, like he said, he chose to dive instead of fall because he was afraid of injuring himself like he did in the 2001 playoffs. In the 2001 playoffs against Oakland, he wasn't running into the stands. He was up against the stands and sort of just tumbled over. And I believe he hurt his wrist or his elbow because on the uh, on a later moment of Jeter, you can see he has a cut on his um, on his elbow slash forearm area where he cut himself on the 2001 play. So maybe that was in the back of his mind, as he said. You watching it again? I'm watching it right now. It's, I mean, it's on the line. It's, it's, it's right there. Either way, there, the ball is, um, it's so close to the stands when you, when you catch, when you catch the ball. There's, there's just no way you can stop. So I don't, whoever says that is purely looking at the distance and has, they're not considering anything with the momentum. They're Jeter haters, and and they're assholes. Yeah, it was gonna be a fair ball. I totally forgot that. I was thinking it was right, right on the, right on the uh, line of being. Watch all these. I did. I watched it ten minutes ago. (laughs) <laughs> I watched so, it. I actually was watching this one. Uh, I watched all of these videos with Kemp, uh, who was sitting on my lap. Yeah, you got to teach him about these. I moments. was, and he he made me rewind this one like five times because he <laughs> wanted to see it again. Because uh, yeah, so I, I got to teach him who Derek Jeter is without thinking, making him think that he still plays for the Yankees, which is a tall task. But um, now, so the re- go ahead. I, I just want to say real quick, the, this one is is one of those just iconic Jeter moments, mm-hmm. right? It's it's a, it's in a yeah, game in game July scenario. It's a regular season game that doesn't mean as much yes. as some of these other ones. And I think that's important context for why this was in there. Because why would a game in July have any bearing on on his top five play? Because this is what he does. He just he he has no regard for other things but winning. And when you when you see the uh, the things that he he doesn't think about that. Like he said, he thought about diving. Like I doubt he thought that honestly. He just did it, and it happened. He's not thinking. You, who's thinking in the middle of that play? You're just reacting as you as you catch it. You're like, oh shit! I'm. I know I'm getting close. Um, there's only so many things you could do. But if you look at that play again, there's nothing you can do with the wall with the wall height like that. Another reason I love this play so much is because it forever ended the Nomar versus Jeter debate. Yeah. In this game, Nomar didn't play. He was sitting on the bench by his own will. Because of a sore Achilles. That's what they were saying. The Red Sox were trying. They were struggling that season. Unfortunately, we know how that season ends up. But they were struggling in the middle of that summer. And the they were trying to catch the Yankees in the division. Nomar sits out a key game in July. And then this is all, this is all written after the fact. But teammates recall Nomar begging to get in the game after he saw what Jeter did. Francona denied him to get into the game. And then 30 days later, Nomar was traded. So they basically wanted to purge themselves of Nomar because of the baby that he was. And I think this forever ended the debate between Jeter. Not that there ever should have been a debate, but statistically, Nomar was a great player. Yeah, he for, always put for, up, a, for a time. He always put up great stats. And if you just isolate like 1997 through 2003, yeah, maybe he did put up better stats than Derek Jeter. But, but you like, got to win, baby. You got to win. And that's the thing. Like, you know, when they had all the, when, when they're talking about all the shortstops, um, who was the, uh, who was the Mets? Ray, Ray Ordonez. Wasn't he one of the shirtless 
guys in the picture with Arod and Jeter. It was Ray Ordonez. Yeah. Oh, and then um, and there was uh, Jeter, Arod, Ordonez, and one other guy. Ramirez was not Hanley Ramirez. The other Ramirez from the Marlins. That was Hanley Ramirez at that point. No, it wasn't. Hanley Ramirez was uh, was way older. I mean, was way. Yeah, older. I know. He's he's not. The, that's not who you're thinking of. But that's oh, I know. That's the player for the Marlins. Yes. Oh, you're was, thinking of Renteria. It was Edgar Renteria. Yes, Edgar Renteria. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Um, I don't know how I remember that. But the... Uh, the was Tahada on that? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. He wasn't... Uh, how old is Tahada compared to Jeter? Well, the same age, but was Maybe supposedly not. like five years younger. And also very steroid. <laughs> Um, yeah, there was a. I mean, so many great shortstops um, a little bit before that time, though. Barry Larkin and uh, Omar Vizquel. I mean, there was like it was that was, that was the, yeah, but that was before that. The '90s, early 2000s was the age of the shortstop. Jeter, Jeter was one of the first. Jeter and Arod were one of the first like big body guys. There were I other Ripken was Ripken was definitely a, uh, the the guy leading the charge because Ripken was definitely a bigger shortstop than most, and I think he kind of paved the way for some of these other guys. Anyway, yeah. They're, the Nomar Jeter thing, it's hilarious. It's it's a good one. I'm I'm glad the Red Sox had a little chuckle on that because it's not it's not close. When you see the the two careers, uh, Jeter destroys him. Always fun to remember. Number three, DJ Three K. Derek, born in New Jersey, as a youngster, the family moved to Kalamazoo, and he wanted to do one thing: play for the Yankees. The three-two. That one's drilled deep to left field. Joyce looking up. See ya. 3,000. History with an exclamation point. Oh, what a way to join the 3,000 hit club. Derek Jeter has done it in grand style. Well, if somebody in Hollywood had gotten together and written this script, he's not a home run hitter. Only one man had ever done it that way, and that's Wade Boggs of the then Tampa Bay Devils. And Derek becomes the 28th man to pick up 3,000 hits. The first Yankee ever in the glorious history of the franchise, and he does it with a home run. Tell you what, David Price gave him everything he could handle, too. Drew some change-ups. I think he finally threw a slider. And you know what? We've seen Derek hit home runs the other way. We've seen him pull some home runs, usually on some off-speed pitches. Number 3,000 for Derek Jeter. This is another non-playoff, just isolated. This is a milestone moment for Derek Jeter. His 3,000th hit, history with an exclamation point. I'm okay with that, Michael K. call. It's better than where fantasy becomes reality. Jeter, home run for off David Price for his 3,000th hit. He goes 5-for-5 five five in that game. Ends up driving in the winning run in the eighth inning. This, maybe you think it's too high. Maybe you think it should be higher, lower, whatever. We all knew he was going to get 3,000. Like you said, barring a career-ending injury, he was going to reach 3,000. Yeah. But to do it with a home run as the first Yankee, going 5-for-5, after to that point in the season, on July 9th, Derek Jeter's stat line was 257, 321, 329. Yeah, he was struggling bad. That is dog shit. He was horrendous up until that moment. And after the game, he'd, he said, I've been lying for a long time, telling you guys there was no pressure. The one time Derek Jeter feels pressure in his entire career is nothing to do with game importance and only to do with ha- like a personal milestone. Thankfully, in the World Series, he's, he's cool 
I'm good in the World Series. But in this in this personal moment when he was probably worried about detracting from the team, I got to get this out of the way so we can just move on with our season. He gets it off price and five for five. That was that, to me that stood out as a moment. And then he from there on out after that moment for the rest of the season hit 338, 392, 4, 451. So he was Derek Jeter again after he got that out of the way. Um, so again, this one tells the tells the tale of why these moments are so different because of this one is. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a game in the middle of the year, but it's an it's an accolade that is huge, and he does it in grand fashion. That's that's the thing with him, he's got that he's got the the moment he's got the uh, you know the eye for for the big moment. Uh, he likes the dramatics. He likes all all of the 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 good stuff. And it's not like you look at that guy as like oh that guy is screaming for attention. It's not like that kind of thing. He just likes. It seems like he, he he's a magnet for big moments, um, like. It's just it's crazy how he does it in 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 fashion, and you can't even call it. We've had this debate on clutch for for you know a couple of weeks now. Like this isn't even clutch because it took forever to get there, but it's dramatic in the way in the way that it went down because everybody's trying to be at the stadium when this happens, right? Everybody's trying to get that one ticket to be at the stadium when this happens, and it doesn't happen, doesn't happen, uh, and people got lucky on that day. So the fact that he went five for five as as a like to boot. With a home run to to to, to get that three thousand, very Derek Jeter baby. I mean, there's that's just uh, it's it's just you know a very big moment that epitomizes the who he is and how he does things. He was only the second player in history to get his three thousandth hit with a home run. The first was Wade Boggs, and then obviously A Rod did it a few years later. That always bothered me that A Rod did it as well. It's just like uh, really you couldn't have just got a single up the middle, A Rod. You had to get a home run too. Yeah, but wasn't it raining and there was like nobody there? No, was that the mo- was, Wait, which no. one was that when he was when it was raining and like his came final back? day ever? And that's what it was. Yeah, yeah. His final game <laughs> ever was a rain delay. Yeah, that's right. Um, and then the next day was Aaron Judge Day, but no, that was off Justin Verlander. And I also believe Justin Verlander grooved him a fastball. Well, again, that's what David you do. Price didn't groove Derek Jeter anything in his at bat. It was an eight pitch at bat, and he hit a slider down in the zone to left field because David Price is an asshole. <laughs> that's why nobody likes him the game stopped there was a standing ovation both dugouts came out to to cheer him the game stopped for a number of minutes um when i was watching the clip i i, I laughed because they kept showing the the booth or not the booth the um the, the box that all his family was in and minka kelly's in there yeah yeah well that that was the that was the year i think they did the hbo special too yep with with minka we all thought minka was the one like and that jeter was would never time. i just i figured jeter would never agree to this unless yeah. minka was the one that I, was like there's no way jeter's gonna so allow what'd this she to do happen. to what she do to something mess that because up. i think she was the one <laughs> i think so too. Yeah. jeter's very calculated in these ways i mean you hear these gerald williams tales of these parties and everything else that was going down those days very cal- in a box very calculated and so uh, in yeah, that Mika hbo special girl. that was like the first time we got behind the curtain on jeter yeah and i remember and maybe this was set up for the interviews like he wanted to take any personality out of his apartment but i remember his apartment was like sterile yeah there was like no furniture there was like a pool table and a couple chairs and that's it yeah it was weird no i agree it's <laughs> just like freaky i wanna i would love to get gerald gerald williams i hope one day i hope jeter's like you know what f it Write the book. <laughs> Write the book. You know what? Yeah. I've done everything. Nah, Write the book. You know why he can't at this point? Because 
he did so much that I think people would get upset. Do you remember when ESPN <laughs> ran that graphic of Derek Jeter of the the actual baseball positions with all of the girls that he dated? Mariah Carey. Yeah, I remember Nick the Kelly, graphic. Yeah. Jessica Alba. This was in like 2009 or 2010 that they ran that. Maybe even a few years after that. Can you imagine if ESPN ran that graphic today? The outrage? Oh, yeah, it would be bad. From so many angles. So bad. From so many angles. That was a graphic run on ESPN television. Yeah. <laughs> that's hilarious. That's uh no, that's definitely not something that would that would fly today. Not even no. not even close. Number two, Mr. November. For the first time in the history of Major League Baseball, playing the World Series during the month of November, and for very good reason. Everything pushed back one week after September the 11th, pushing the postseason back and now officially into November as Derek Jeter bats with two out and nobody on. Jeter hits it into right. Back at the wall. Game over. Yankees win and the series is tied. Okay, now we're getting to the difficult ones, number two and number one. At this point, you've probably now also figured out what number one is because Mr. November is number two. I struggled back and forth on where to put this one. Mr. November is one of his iconic moments. It's his one of his nicknames, that Captain Clutch, El Capitan. Like Those are his nicknames. Mr. November is definitely one of them. I mean, the whole damn thing plays out like a movie. You watch Until the end. Well, just this moment, yeah. the Mr. November mo moment, plays out like a movie. The clock strikes midnight because the World Series is being played a week later because of the 9-11 attacks. Joe Buck friggin' says that. Up steps Derek Jeter after the stroke of midnight, and on a 3-2 pitch, he hits a home run off Byung-Yung Kim to right field in the 10th inning. And then there's a guy in the stands... With a Mr. November sign, and the camera finds him <laughs> immediately. <laughs> it is outrageous that that actually happened. The, fa yeah, the fact that the camera guy found the, the Mr. November sign, um, some producer in there is like scanning and looking. And, you know, these guys, when you're not on, when, you, when you're not on your shot and there's, there's a time, I don't know how cameramen work. I got to believe that there's like a, a cadence between some of them. They kind of know how the, the game flow is. And when they have a, a minute or two, they're, they're panning, right? They're looking around. Or you got producers with eyes looking around. And when that moment, um, it's just, it's like, it's one of those just in case B rolls. You know, like you got to find it just in case something does happen because it's never happened before. Um, so good storytelling by that producer by by actually locating. Or, and it, or the it has to be a walk off home run moment. Like you can't just <clears throat> go, flash to Mr. November if Jeter singles up the middle. Yeah. No, it's great. The, um, but, uh, when you when you have a when you have a moment like that in a in such a big series with the with the um, unbelievable emotional toll of that series as well and not only for the the people in the city but for the entire world the entire country everybody's looking this is probably the first time probably the last time <laughs> that everybody has been was you know rooting for the New York Yankees it's funny you say that i i have uncles who are diehard Red Sox fans, and they said that's the one and only time I wanted the Yankees to win. Yeah, was that World Series, and and because it's it's telling on, on how the the country came together after after um, 
uh, after 9-11 and, and, you know, just the, the emotional toll it took on everybody. But yeah, it was just, it was one of those things where it was the first time the World Series had ever been pushed back like that. You get into mm-hmm. November and, and up, up, uh, up comes Derek Jeter for the moment that he was born for apparently and, uh, and delivers. So and the Mr. November nickname is awesome. I think Mr. October for Reggie Jackson, like that's one of the coolest nicknames yeah. in baseball. It's so badass. And Jeter gets the Mr. November. It's hilarious. It's awesome. It's his first walk off at any level of his life, which is crazy. That is pretty crazy. He ended up having more, obviously. <laughs> walk off home run, not walk off. Walk off home run. Yeah, yeah. He ended up having another one, I believe, in 2005. Um, but... Games four and five of that World Series, games three, four, and five of that World Series, the ones in New York, but specifically games four and five, are two of the most memorable games I've ever for the Yankees in their franchise. And it sucks that they didn't end up winning that series, but I still watch highlights of those games and think back to those memories. Mm, I, I, will never, I will never forget them. And I know it sucks that Mariano ends up blowing the game seven, but those, those games at home still give me chills for the way that they were just like completely dead. You look at the stats, Arizona dominated them in every way possible. And then in just certain moments, the Yankees would get a clutch moment, a clutch home run. We talk about these moments, Tino two run home run to tie the game. Jeter, Mr. November walk off the next night, Scott Brocious two run home run. Then a Alfonso Soriano, Soriano single. The Yankees basically had no hits other than those hits. That's see, that's, that's the thing. Like when these guys, when the, in these big moments, Ice, ice goes through the vein for whatever reason. Uh, you, you see certain players that are able to, to show up. Brocious is one of those guys. Talk about a clutch guy. Brocious, I'm just going to I'm just gonna be a dominant force in the playoffs. Uh, uh, but, but with... Uh, I'm going to win World Series MVP yeah, after Oakland discards Out of absolutely nowhere. Uh, it, it's beautiful. But the, and, and, you know, some say the lore of the pinstripes can do that. They can, they can put you in these moments. It's the ghosts that are coming through. Get all these good, all the good juju. I love it. I love all that stuff because I want to believe it, so I do believe it. And the the thing is, when when Derek Jeter steps up in that moment, I think everybody, everybody there is looking at this like Jeter's going to do this. How many people do you think predicted that home run in the stands? I bet a lot of people predicted that home run. A lot of drunk people after the fact probably said. No, that. I bet a lot of people <laughs> looked to the guy next to him or the girl next to him and said Jeter's going to end this because that's the way it's supposed to happen, and Jeter ended it. I guarantee yeah, it that had to, it had to be home runs because they were not mounting rallies off Byung Hyung Kim. So yeah. it had to be a solo home run. Yeah. And, and it was. Um, let's get to number one, the flip. That is fair down the right field line. Giambi on his way to third. And they're going to wave him around. The throw misses a cutoff, man. Shot into the plate. Out of the plate. Derek Jeter with one of the most unbelievable plays you will ever see by a shortstop. Both cutoff men were missed. Jeter coming down the line, fielded with his bare hand, a shovel to Posada, and Giambi is out. What an unbelievable play by Jeter. Still 1-0 Yankees. Wow. A defensive play as the number one moment of Derek Jeter's career. I think that speaks to him perfectly. It, it absolutely does. <laughs> All you have to do is point to this one when, uh, when, when you get in arguments with people about his Hall of Fame 
uh, ballot and, and, and everything that is leading up Where's to that. Where's the UZR? Where's the DRS on the flip plate? Yeah, show me that. Show me that. No, the it is because this is all about Derek Jeter being in the right place at the right time in the right key moment and executing perfectly. So, so to to have moments, you need opportunity. You can't have the moment without the opportunity. And Derek Jeter had tons of opportunity over his career. But the fact that he had, we can have a list of five and you can argue about them plus honorable mentions. And you could probably come up with 10 others. That there's there's definitely a number of overlooking yeah. or just undervaluing or for whatever it may be. You're right. It does speak to Jeter. And here's the scene. So it's the 2001 ALDS. The Yankees are down 0-2. They lost the first two games against Oakland of the division series at home. They got their butts kicked. And then they go to Oakland. It's like, all right, there's no way they're going to pull this out. They've got to win three in a row and the next two in Oakland. Messina's dealing. It's a one nothing lead in the seventh inning. Terrence Long doubles down to the right field corner. Shane Spencer makes a horrendous throw. Overthrows two cutoff men. Derek Jeter darts across the infield, backhands the ball, flips it to Posada, who gets Jeremy Giambi, who should have slid, on the calf just as he uh, before he touches the plate. This is the one we talked about that maybe if instant, I mean if instant replay existed, they definitely would have challenged it. I've seen and then it, an umpire would have gotten in the way and ruined things. I've seen it paused enough times and slowed down enough times where I'm. I'm 99% sure that glove, glove has fabric grazed fabric before the cleat touches home plate. It, so I do think if there was replay, they're not overturning it. It's too close to call. I also think if he's called safe and the Yankees challenge it, they're not overturning it. It's one of those kinds of plays. I mean, when I, when I watch that play, it's, it's, it's definitively an out. I, I think he absolutely tags him. I feel like I see the glove move a little bit. And when I see the glove move a little bit, um, I got, I got contact. Either way, it doesn't matter. He was out. Jeremy Giambi absolutely should have slid. But I don't know if he's not looking. I mean, he's got a clear view. When you're running third, you could see the Jeter's coming across and getting that ball. Like, it's not like the play. Well, no, the, I don't know if he could have seen Jeter. Jeter's running in the same line as him, so he's not seeing Jeter out of the side of his eye. What he's maybe. seeing is the what he's seeing is the ball not on target for Posada. Well, no, Posada, he's not. He's not looking see. at that. He's not looking at that. He's looking theoretically. He's looking at third base coach. Third base coach is telling him to go, so he's just going. Okay, at that point. But once you round third, probably once you round third, you have an angle at home plate. You got to be able to see Jeter coming. You're basically Where's running next the to each other. Where's the on deck guy? Where's the on deck guy telling him what to do? I mean, that's really the that's a fault too. Either way, you always slide. But you have a you have Jeter practically running like parallel with you down to the to the same area, going at the ball. Um, you know, whatever. Giambi, it's it's Jeremy Giambi. So I mean, do you expect good base running? No, you don't. Jason would have slid. Jason, I don't know if he would have slid. He would have been out by uh, probably uh, another three feet, but. The um the fact is he didn't slide. Jeter's there, perfect perfect placement, uh, balls overthrown, and they've practiced this. We were talking about this before. Like, I, I think that's even better because the fact that the Jeter has said this, Jeter has talked about that they, they they practiced it a number of times. The fact that they have practiced this situation talks about the preparation of every situation. And you know what? I don't know what everybody else was doing on that play. But there, there may have been Picking some kind of Picking dingleberries out of their ass, just looking at the ball. And Derek Jeter's like, okay, I guess I'll save the day. But there's a lot of there's there's a lot of plays that are contingency plays, right? If something yeah. happens, this happens. If some if somebody's out of place or if a ball gets uh, gets loose, these are where this these are the places that we have to go. 
if the ball is hit to the right side, the left side, there's just, there's a number of things that they all go through. So this was obviously one of those wheel things that they're talking about where Jeter is coming. Uh, you know, everybody else has a bag. Uh, everybody else has a position. And Jeter's job now is to, you know, cut in between the base paths at some point and, and, and try to cut it off if he possibly can. You know, it's a freak play. It doesn't happen. It hasn't happened. And even if you practice it, it I mean, the, the play has to happen perfectly for it to even work, to even mm-hmm. to even try to be in position for it to work. Um, but the execution is 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 the the forethought, the execution are, you know, like when you're talking about perception on a baseball and like the the um, the the intellectual value of a player, it's an eleven. It's it's unbelievable off the charts. One of the beautiful things about the play, if you watch the video, is that the entire Oakland crowd just loses their breath at the same moment. Yeah, It goes from roaring cheers to dead silent in the matter of a blink of an eye. It's so funny to hear. And you brought up a good <laughs> point when we were ordering these. Another argument for why Mr. November is number two and the flip is number one is because Mr. November doesn't happen without the flip. Yeah, no, no, because it was an elimination game, right? The... Um, yeah, it, no, not, it, it it might still happen. The Yankees could might still, still win. It could still happen. It was happen. a tight game. But the Yankees, if that goes to a one-to-one game, maybe they don't win that game. Maybe they don't advance to the next round and yeah. win the World Series. I mean, it's it's absolutely legitimate to say that because uh, this was such, the fact that they were were down 0-2 um, and it was a you know a one-run game at that point, and that the you know this is cutting down a run at the plate. That's a huge momentum thing too. Plus, it's a it's a run off the board, and and you're dealing with a tight game right there. It very well could not happen. Um, they they were not nobody was getting hits at that point. You know, you're you're trying to runs are, are are coveted, and he cut it down. So yeah, huge moment. And you're right, the World Series may not have happened if that if the flip if the flip didn't happen. Yeah, and I think to you can say the flip, and you know exactly what that is. Sort of like you can say the catch, and think of the Mickey Mantle, not the Mickey Mantle, the uh, Willie Mays. Good job. <laughs> you think of the Willie Mays over the shoulder catch. Um, so I think that's one of those plays where it just, it gets a name. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It's, I love seeing the diagrams cause you can, you can diagram like the, tra- the, the path of the ball off the pitcher to bat to, uh, to the outfield, you know, where it, where it misses. I'd like to see StatCast though, how StatCast does those charts on the sprint of everyone in, yeah. in the, involved in the play. Yeah. And I would like to have seen where Derek Jeter was running and, and exactly at what point he decided, okay, I'm going to make my break for the ball. Yeah. I would love to see that. Are there no other camera? I, I, don't, I don't remember seeing other camera I, angles. You know, watching some of these replays from the, 90s and early 2000s you do realize like how far tv technology has come because you you, the 2000 when jeter hit his 3000th home run everything's in high definition they have yes mo the slow motion breakdown but then just a couple years earlier none of that exists there's got to be some some guy in the stands with a camcorder right who eventually turned that it's gonna look like the zapruder footage that's fine but someone turned the vhs into a cd and then somehow got it to digital and it survived like three moves that one that that's got to be on YouTube somewhere in the in the, in the dark in dark the depths of YouTube. Yeah, because I just, I do want to see that. It's it would be nice to see Derek Jeter sprinting a la David Robertson down like across the the uh, um, across the diamond getting into position, but you don't see that. That's that I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna look for it. I'm going da- I'm going down. So congratulations to Derek Jeter who was announced as 
He was voted into the Hall of Fame. Man, if the Raiders do something really stupid, uh, we're going to have to edit that part out. But the top five moments, the King of New York, number five, the Dive, number four, DJ 3K, number three, Mr. November, number two, the Flip, number one. Let us know if you disagree, if you would add any others, or if you would reorder them. Hit us up on social media. I think we nailed the list, though, Scott. Yeah, I think it's a good one. Uh, but again, like if someone came up to me and said uh, a reverse order or a different order, I'd be like, all right, okay. You can argue any of them. I just – even you might be even able to convince me on Mr. November as number one, but number one and number two for me Yeah, they're they're moving. pretty definitive where they are. Yeah. Overall – it's first of all, it's just fun looking back and and, uh, and watching these plays again and seeing the. Uh, I'm watching like the the other guys in there. Like I was taking note on who was who was giving hugs on the last day. Like there were some generic weird Yankees in that on that team. You um, know, did you see though who picks up Jeter immediately? Um, I don't remember. Cece. Oh yeah, he literally jumps into G- uh, C- Jeter jumps into Cece's arms. You sure it wasn't Harky? No. <laughs> <laughs> um no it's 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 fun it's fun to look back so i definitely uh uh you guys should go to youtube and check them check them out again and watch the plays but they're fun to watch dude Derek jeter's just the freaking king he's just he's just the king all right the guy is uh living the dream now he's down with another organization and it was weird in the beginning but whatever he's just gonna do what he does uh you know take as many yankee guys he's gonna try to make the the marlins like yankee south it's definitely what he's doing and and you know Honestly, he'll probably succeed at some point. We'll probably be talking about him in 10 to 15 years, and the Marlins may have you know a couple under their belt. Who knows? It wouldn't surprise me. Well, I've said this before, and I actually just talked to JJ about this on George's Box. Derek Jeter got to a level of celebrity that most, if 99.9% of athletes, never mind baseball players, don't reach. He was so famous, he hosted SNL. <laughs> like... That, I think people don't understand, like, that's a level of fame that most athletes are not going to reach. And especially in baseball, like, you got to be like a quarterback or basketball to do that, where you're much more visible to the pop culture public. But Jeter escalated himself above that. He did A lot of it is because of these moments. Yeah. It's because he played for the Yankees, because yeah. he played in New York, because he was basically winning World Series or in the World Series or in the playoffs every year for two straight decades. So a, a lot of it... It's because of those things, but Jeter reached a celebrity that most people are, are not ever going to really reach as an athlete, and we don't currently have in baseball today. Well, there's no athlete, there's no baseball player today as famous as Derek Jeter was. No, but what's interesting about that is the time when it happened, because at that point, you don't have all these other digital media outlets for people to show up, and you don't have all the noise of, of what, what happens today. Today, there's just an unbelievable amount of noise that every single person has to filter out. They have 8 billion options on what they want to watch, who they want to follow, what they want to see it on, how they want to watch it, when they want to watch it. And there's just options galore. Whereas back then, the playoffs, they were on primetime. Primetime on uh, on, on broadcast, you know, on broadcast network television. And there are no computers. You're not watching anything on the internet. You're watching that. You can't rewind it. You go to a bar to watch it because if you don't watch it, you don't see it. Otherwise, you're 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 taping it on a on a tape. I did that when I had a uh, fraternity uh, flag football game. That was a that's how I saw the the what, Aaron what Boone. What game did you miss? It was the, Aaron, the it was the Aaron Boone. You're playing a night. You're playing a night flag yeah, football game. Yeah, yeah, they were all at night. 
they're all like some of them were late at night. I'll never forget the girl I was dating at the time. How would you? How hold on? I, 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 you I, me, skipped Game Seven of the ALCS to go play flag football. Shame it, on you. No, it was a, uh, it was like a do or die playoff game. It was pretty much that was my life at that point. Like it was, it was us do versus, or die playoff game. What you, there's no more do or die than a yeah. But game these were people I actually hated. These were people I hated in real life, and, and, and were big rivals to me. Personally. So then, did you find out the result of the game, or did you watch no. it to figure it out? Yeah, no, 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 no. We 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 had everything locked down, so we had. No, nobody. There were no phones, so nobody was. Uh, this is like the ancient times. People, um, well, phones existed in two thousand three. We we uh, nobody had them though, not, or not many people had them. But um, and they didn't have data either. There were phones to make phone calls. Right. They, yeah, but you could have gotten a call from your dad or something. Yeah, nobody was calling anybody. We made sure that nobody talked to us. We ran off the field literally, like, and and then like in one car. It was me uh, uh, and a couple of my buddies, and two of them are Red Sox fans, actually. So that was sweet. Um, but I will give credit to my ex-girlfriend at the time. One of the tapes ran out. I'm talking about VHS. Mm-hmm. Ran out. Yeah, because that's probably like a four-hour game. And she had another one that she of something else that she had to put in and switch tapes and tape over something to get that home run. That's a good girlfriend. I was like, damn. That usually, <laughs> like, once the tape goes out, you don't realize the tape goes out. I don't expect. I probably wouldn't have expected that to actually happen. But yeah, and you just you just left off in like the bottom of the yeah yeah exactly. Like, what what, what happened? happened? What happened? Um, but no. It so was, did uh, you watch it from the first inning on? Yeah, we watched the whole game. We watched no the entire, fast forwarding. I don't think so. I mean, I, I don't. I mean, commercials, but like no. If, no if I'm being very honest, I don't specifically remember. Um, I remember being where I was and who I was with, and rubbing it in their faces. And I know we didn't know because two of the Red Sox fans that are two of my good friends. Um, yeah, I just didn't stop talking for it. It was like a solid week. I mean, there. Yeah. And then for the rest of the. Uh, until 2004. <laughs> so one year. <laughs> All right. That's going to do it for this episode. Like I said, hit us up on social to talk about these Derek Cheater moments. We will catch you guys next time. Hey guys, thanks for listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Make sure you find us on iTunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone. If you do like the show, we'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five-star rating and review on iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. We're on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Really appreciate it. And go Yankees. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC.